At the end of your life, what will be your legacy? What will you leave behind for future generations? For the world, join the world messenger, Isabella Lundberg, each week as she brings you a new distinguished guest from the business, sports, or entertainment world to share their success, their struggles, and their lessons. They will share their insights into current hot topics that affect everyone. Isabella facilitates an intimate, vulnerable environment to find the true value of humanity and real leadership. Are you ready for your legacy? The legacy that matters? Hello, hello, my beautiful friends. It's Isabella on the Cure the World Messenger, and I am bringing you to another epic Legacy Leader Show. I have a very special guest here today that is very dear to my heart. Uh, she is two-time Olympian National Championship basketball coach. She's an award-winning speaker and author. She is just through and through most amazing, fascinating woman with a great story. Uh, talk about overcoming adversity and always being on the winning side. And guess what, guys? Her name is Sherry Wynn. Without further ado, let's hear from Sherry. Sherry, welcome. How are you? Hey, I'm awesome. I mean, even though it's minus 18 outside today in Montana, it's still beautiful, right? Every day presents an opportunity for you to see beauty. And what I see out my side, I'm looking right out my window. So I, I've had this incredible view of the mountains, of a creek. And right now what I see is white, like white sky, white trees, white snow, but it's, it's purity. And so you get the chance to see this incredible purity um, covering the land right now. So uh, I think that when you look outside every day, what you see and brings you great joy. That's what I look for every single day. That is fantastic. Thank you for sharing. And yes, she is coming from Montana. I mean, she's joining us from Montana and it is such a beautiful state and, and very peaceful, very picturesque all year round, actually, right? And specifically right now during the winter when it's so cold, um, I'm sure it's still some activities that you do. Uh, I'm, are you sledding? Are you hiking? Are you snowshoeing? Uh, what, how do you spend winter months over there? Well, this week I'm, I'm hibernating. <laughs> That's what I'm doing this week. <laughs> I do not blame you. But there's other days I have this incredible, uh, right outside my house, so I live up on top of a hill and I have the view of the Beartooth Mountains, but there's a, a, a hill, like literally you can go down with your old sled, you know, how when you're a kid and you could jump on a sled, you could ride down. So I'm still a kid. I'm still at 59 being a kid, sliding down the hill, um, you know, crashing, crashing, uh, obviously many times, rolling over the snow. Uh, but what, you know, it's that ability to reach your inner child and to stay kind of young, um, even as you age. And so I'm so fortunate to live where I do. That is beautiful. And I love what you uh, mentioned, how important it is to keep that spirit of the child and keep us going because we, uh, we should be looking at the world through eyes of that innocence of a young child and that playfulness and that creativity, which all of that is a great attribute to your tremendous work that you keep doing in every decade of your life. So before we go and depict what are you currently up to, do you mind sharing, first of all, you're a little bit about your upbringing before you obviously moved to Montana and, and how did you get, first of all, in professional sports? And then what sport well, did you play? <laughs> you know, if somebody would have told me that you're more likely to get struck by lightning twice um, before being an Olympian, like I would have never dreamed about being an Olympian, but isn't it awesome that you can uh, attack a dream without knowing what it takes? And so the very young age of seven, I actually pronounced, I said, I'm going to be an Olympian. I'm like, I'm going to be an Olympian. And of course, you know how your parents are like, that's so cute, honey. Oh, thank you. You know, 
but I meant it. Like I really meant it. And so even at the age of seven, I started, I started training. Like I was jumping jacks, you know, and push-ups and all this stuff because I really believed I was going to be an Olympian. And all through my high school career, I had this belief. I just knew. I mean, when you know something and you live as if, as if it's going to occur, like you step into that current. And really, that's what I did. I mean, all through my high school career, I just believed this was going to happen. And fortunately for me, it did. I mean, I was so lucky that I stepped into something. Now, handball is a sport that I played in the United States. It's called team handball. But over in Europe, as you know, it's just called handball, which is like soccer using the hands or water polo on land. A phenomenal sports, very fast paced, very aggressive. There's a lot of um, hitting of opponents like you can't punch them, but there's a lot of like body contact, high scoring game phenomenal game and I was fortunate enough to play in 1984 and 1988 on the US, uh, USA team. Wow so you started so early had a vision you knew the destination where you're going and that unfolded for you in high school and as a result brought you for two Olympics to play in Olympic Games. Wow so do you mind sharing with the audience that obviously we see amazing every four years winter and every four years summer olympics we're super excited to root for different people but many people don't have no idea how much dedication hard work needs to be done in order to prepare mentally physically emotionally psychologically so do you mind sharing all of those elements please and and what it was for you that experience for that first olympic what did you find out and what did you have to do to prep and be selected well you know we trained we moved in together so the women's team national team moved in together in 1981 now you got to remember this is back when when um we were amateurs so we all lived 13 of us all lived in one house and every room, every single room in the house was a bedroom except for the kitchen. And we had one little space, uh, one little living room space that we could congregate in. But, um, you know, people had actually had their, their dresser drawers in the garage because there wasn't enough room. And um, you could take like when you showered, you couldn't use all the hot water. People get mad at you. So literally you turn the water, you know, and then you turn it off and you shower up, you put leather up and you turn it back on and turn it off. And so you didn't get to run like a, like a shower we know today. Uh, and we trained twice a day. So literally, even back then, we were working full-time jobs. I was working at Hallmark card stores, yes, making $3.35 an hour. I still remember that. <laughs> um, and then we'd come home and work out. So we'd go weight, lift weights or run. And then later that evening, like at 8 o'clock at night, we would train from 8 to 10 or 9 to 11 at night uh, to get all of our workouts in. And that lasted for about a year and a half. And then we moved to Lake Placid. We were the first team that moved into the Lake Placid Training Center. And even though we're a summer sport, and this is for winter sports, we moved in. And again, we trained twice a day. So we trained twice a day from 1981 all the way up into the 1984 Olympic Games. And so your, your life was made of, you know, um, getting up to eat, getting to the training room so you could, they could patch you together, going to train, going back to ice down, resting, and then starting the whole program, you know, the whole program over again. Uh, and I wouldn't change it. For, I wouldn't change any of that. It was so, you know, I was living the dream. I was doing exactly what I wanted to do. I love playing more than anything else in the world. So uh, I was just so fortunate to do that. And then, and then, and then we just kind of repeat the same thing and, you know, from again, for 1988, you know, but that time we lived in Colorado Springs and we trained twice a day um, year round. And then uh, for the 1988 Olympic games. So it was, I mean, you had to give up a lot, you know, you had to give up a lot and you didn't make it. We made no money. I was broke. I was broke wow. at the end of that. Wow. And that is interesting too, because, 
has been here in Colorado and have been a European transplant who always was so fascinated by Olympics and seeing Olympic Committee and, 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 and down in Colorado Springs and just visiting some of the facilities and whatnot. I, I can just picture that so vividly now. So do you mind sharing when, when did you guys knew that you are selected? That is the theme that's going to go. And how was that emotionally, like wearing the jerseys, putting your, you know, you know, representing the country, the biggest nation, and, and just having the sense of what was going on emotionally for you? Well, we actually, in 1984, I can remember this so vividly, and this is one of the places where I knew um, that I could create better leadership. And uh, so they, in 1984, what they did is we had a group of people that trained on the national team. So you weren't on the Olympic team in, until just a couple of months before the Olympics, you know? And so they had a tryout for all the people yes. who've been training. And they have to cut that that number down to 15 on the team. And I can remember the day that they were going to announce it. And what they did is they had us all go into the same room. Everybody. Jesus. And then they, read, then they read the names out of the people who made it. And one of my teammates who had been training forever, she had trained for the 80 Olympics. And of course, the 80 Olympics were, um, that's when they boycotted, like the United States boycotted. We didn't go. And I can remember her, her, her she didn't make it. And she oh. failed, she failed out of her chair and laid on the floor screaming in agony. And so at that moment, which could have been a moment of us going, I made it, we were just like, oh, we we're all, I mean, I was devastated. I was so devastated at that moment. And I knew, I said, man, there's just a better way to leave. Like, this is not the right way to do this. There's so many other ways that could, this could have occurred. Um, so at the same moment, I was elated. I was also devastated, which is kind of an yeah. interesting, like, you know, moment for, for all of us. I, I would say it's all of us. Um, and then, you know, from that because point on. You guys on, have a bond and you became very good close friends and you think everybody has a shot and all of a sudden reality hits in. And no, it's like handpicked, right? And, 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 and you spot on when we have a people, all of them there, you have to contain that level of emotions. You can't be happy for yourself when you're seeing your friend hurting, right? Oh gosh, it was it was painful. It was so painful. Um, and you know, that's the moment I said, you know, I'm going to be a better leader. When I become a coach, I'm going to be a better leader. When I become a coach, I'm going to be aware of these people, and I'm going to make sure I'm empathetic, right, to all people at all times. So it was a great lesson at that moment. But um, when we walked into the stadium in 1984. There was no, I mean, it, you talk to any of my teammates and you say, what was your greatest moment? And they're going to say, walking in the stadium in the United States of America, walking in that stadium and having 80,000 people on, you know, screaming USA, USA, USA. Um, you can't, I mean, I'm talking about right now and I get, I'm getting chill bumps. I mean, this is how many years later, you know, I'm yep. still getting chill bumps about this because yeah. it was such a phenomenal moment. It was so crazy that you're looking around and, you know, there's Michael Jordan over there and there's Mary Lou Retton over there and all these great, and you're part of it. You know, you're part of this whole contingent of um, phenomenal athletes who earn their way to this Olympic games. And so it was, it was a moment that you can't, you can never replicate that. You can never replicate that. Nothing in my life has ever been the same as that moment. Um, but luckily I have the memory of it. So I can that still so access. Beautiful. Yes. I love that story, Sherry. Thank you for sharing. It's so, I just, again, I just feel so like the way you said already, like I was there with you on the edge of my seat. Uh, and that is so beautiful. And I'm glad that you had a chance to experience. And then how did you guys play? What was the, I know you had a couple of really competitive, very strong um, teams are playing against you guys. And then you guys end up winning, I believe, silver or no? No, no. So let's kind of back up about team handball in the United States. 
it's still high school. It's still not played any college. It was never, it's never been a sport that's been sponsored here. So, you know, you're looking at a, like, I can remember the very first, first time I went overseas to play. So this is so funny. You know, I'm like, oh, I'm a good athlete. And um, I've been training really hard and all this stuff. And we walk into Denmark. I remember it was Denmark. It was the Danes. And we walk in, there's a woman and she's smoking a cigarette in the gym, right? <sighs> she's smoking a cigarette. She's got like four kids trailing her. And she's smoking a cigarette. I'm like, no, my gosh, we're just going to crush these people, you know? And because they knew the sport and we didn't. They beat us like handily, like they were doing all these tricks. I'm like, I don't know, this isn't fair. Look what they're doing to me. I don't know. And so we had a lot of learning to do um, to, to play a sport. Like I started playing at age 19. So I'm playing against people who play since they were five and six. Mm -hmm. And they had, you know, multiple international competitions under their belt. And so we, we did not win a medal. We were one goal short, one goal short of winning a medal. Um, uh, in fact, a USA team has never won a medal uh, in team handball. In fact, there's not been a USA team competed. They hadn't even uh, get up, gotten a position to compete since 1996. So, wow. so the fact Good that we were in the games and that we were so close to winning, and I will tell you, you know, this is my philosophy. I mean, it could be right or wrong, but you know, we didn't have a good coaching staff. I mean, our coaching staff was not good. We had a Czechoslovakian and a Russian who didn't understand women and didn't understand the culture of the United States. I still believe to this day, had we had a better coach, we would have won a medal, no doubt, probably a silver. I don't think we could have beaten the Yugoslavians who won that year, but I definitely believe that we could have won a medal. We were so close to, in, in games, just one goal, one goal away from winning a medal. That's how close it was. Wow. Uh that that must be also defeating in some sense because i know how much effort and work you have to put to go and prepare and how many years to practice first of all to be selected and then when you're selected to go beyond and above just to maintain that level of play that olympics truly do demand and extract from everybody wow i'm so sorry to hear that and i'm seeing a couple of things here not much invested in female sports and specifically not in handball right very similar story that I experienced back when I was even younger, you know, in, in times in, 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 in late 80s, early 90s, which was unfortunate and sad. So very similar story many, many years later, but I, I just can't understand how much you guys sacrifice. And on the end of the day, you didn't even get paid or any financial support. Nothing. But you know what? There's so many lessons and so many things that I learned from the experience. And one of the things that really that taught me some a valuable, I can remember, you know, walking away, we were playing the first, um, the junior world championships, I'd only been playing like three months, I go to play the junior world championships, and we're getting annihilated, like annihilated, and um, it was like so easy, like I just wanted to quit, like I just, I wanted to, it was so embarrassing, it was so hard, and then I said, you know, how can I look at this differently so that I can find that ability to walk through this, how can I, how can I define a win differently? And this is something I did many, many years ago, and I've kept this with me all the time. It's what I taught my, my players when I coach basketball. It's now what I taught people, teach people now when I'm coaching CEOs and COOs and VPs and presidents of companies. And that's this. You have to define a win differently. So forget about the scoreboard, right? Number one, what's a win? Number one, did you give your best effort? Did you yeah. give your best effort? No matter what was going on, no matter if you were sick, no matter if you were hurt, no matter what, what did you give your best effort? Number two, did you never quit? So, you know, you're getting slaughtered. Are you still playing hard throughout that thing? And number three is, 
did you learn something from the experience? Yeah. And what I, what I discovered from that, Isabella, if I did those three things in all of my life, in all the challenges, in all the adversities that I've met, guess what? I came out positive on the other side. Mm. So, so, so many, so few people can give their best effort in adversity. So few people can never quit. Like they just walk off, they quit, they leave it behind, they can't sustain it. And so few people say, what can I bring? What lesson can I bring? What can I move forward from this to make me better? And really, when you do those three things, Isabella, when you can do those three things, enormous things will happen for you in your life, right? You just got to, you have to have that resiliency, that persistence, that determination to drive yourself forward. And what you know, I mean, I know your story and you know these things, you know these things, but these are the things that so few people, I think that a lot of people, you know, they quit before they get there. Yes, they give up too easy and it, they're not willing to put so much effort because it's too hard. And then also the, it requires a determination and consistency. And I love your journey and reason why I'm so thrilled and happy besides that I'm absolutely always considered as a, my dear friend and colleague, but I also love to show people what is possible, how much what you learned actually you did apply and then how you transition from handball playing professionally to actually coaching basketball and, and being coach for how many years did you coach? I coached college basketball for 23 years. And so wow. during that time we won a national title and then went to three elite eights and, um, you know, and, and then, you know, people are like, oh my gosh, it's so great. But also at five years where I didn't have a winning record. Um, and so sometimes people are like, oh, you know, life was so easy for you and blah, 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 blah. Well, it's not like life is a challenge. And once we understand that life is challenging and if we quit thinking it's just going to be this easy road, if we understand that life is going to present to you like these humongous challenges. And again, you know, those three things drove me through that so that I could get to the other side and create um, you know, another winning program. So, um, you know, life is full of challenges. It's also full of opportunities. And if you can stay through the challenge and if you can meet the challenge, the other side of that is always going to be amazing. That is brilliant. And I love, again, how now you transform that into not only your passionate speaking, which you are phenomenal on the stage and definitely great transformative leader that impacts so much youth and future generations of their leaders. And of course, you know, with more seasoned executives that are making choices and decisions as we speak uh, that are dealing with so much turmoil and change, but you understand very well philosophy of team dynamics and, and very few people have that really strong sense of what that takes, what that does DNA, what, how that plays together, how that works together, and everything meaningful, everything that anybody wins, it's based on the team and team dynamics that are there. So do you mind share a little bit of what your words of wisdom around that? Because as we've seen right now, we're the all-time low in terms of team engagement and team performance. And I keep saying this is not the issue due to COVID and economy and because people are working remotely. Guys, don't use that as, as a buffer and as an excuse. We know what it is. So I want you to tell your perspective. So please bring it on, Coach Wynn. Well, I mean, that goes back to, there's a great quote by Zig Ziglar who said, um, some people say that uh, motivation doesn't last. Neither does taking a bath. That's why we need to do it every day. Right. Yes. And and so I love that because it's about, you know, if you're a leader, you don't get a day off. If you're a leader, you have to figure out how do I keep these people engaged? And that is from you. Am I listening? Am I valuing what they say? Am I bringing them into the conversation? 
or are they a part of the dynamics? Or are they a part of our goal setting? You know, what if you want engagement, you have to create it. You don't get to take a, you know, you don't get to go, I know it all. Here's what we're going to do. Everybody follow me. Let's go. That's exactly the wrong thing to do, right? Because nobody's going to follow you because they, they, they're brilliant. They're the people that you've hired that are there for a reason. And so, you know, engagement means what are you doing? What are you asking of them? How are you empowering them? In what ways are they are they um, seeing the company as their company? It's like this, you know, when people wear jerseys, like they go, it's my NFL team. Like it's my, you know, it's my Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's my, and they have the jerseys on and they're like, it's my team. Well, if your company is not saying that, if they don't get, if they're not walking around going, it's my company, then you're in the wrong space. You haven't empowered them enough to believe it's their, because they're going to say it's the company, right? Yes. It's your yes. company. It's the present CEO. So you've got to be able to, to get people in that space. And part of that means that the leaders, and this is where I, where I really work a lot. You got to get out of your ego. Mm. You got to put your ego in the backseat. You've got to believe in your team. And right now, what do you see right now, if you don't mind sharing, Sherry, from your perspective, you're absolutely spot on. I, I, I just want to echo that. But I'm also seeing really interesting dynamics. I'm just curious, what is your perspective of what, what is either not happening or what should be happening more or what, either way? Uh, I, I just want to just to kind of get a sense of um, in terms of what leaders are missing the boat on right now during this time. Well, you know, I, I'm just working with the company right now and, and they're like, you know, we don't feel like our Zoom meetings are getting it done. I'm like, well, what are you doing in your Zoom meetings? You know, well, we've tried like the, you know, happy hour week going and I said, okay, well, that's great for like two. So what else are you doing? Like, you can't just settle on one thing. I said, you've got to engage them. What are you doing? So I was just working at a company on a webinar last week and we did a treasure hunt, right? So right at the desk, I say, okay, um, You've got to pick up something on your table right now that, that is in alignment with the mission statement of your company. And they're all like, mission statement. It's <laughs> like, do we, we really remember? What is it? Where is it? <laughs> and so they're, they're looking around their office. I said, you can get anywhere off your office. Then they're running around trying to pick something up. And I'm, I'm like, you know, so tell me why it's in alignment with your mission statement. And all that does is get people engaged. It brings them back into the forefront. They're, they're, they're being a part of it, you know, and they're being a part of the solution. And I think what we do is we settle on something. Like we get settled in and we, keep, we quit expanding. And, and you've got to always get your people out of the comfort zone. You have to always push them. You can't let them settle into a bubble. It's like if you're, if you're a coach, you don't say, okay, well, you know what? This average, this time, you, this year you average five points. That's enough because next year you can just average five too. No, next year you've been re-averaging 10. You're a lot better than five. What are you doing stuck at five? And so I think we have to expand people. You've got to put, like, it, nobody wants to get out of their comfort zone. Isabella, they're all like, ooh, like I like my bubble. This is really comfort. I don't want to get out of here. But you can't allow that. If you're a leader, you can't allow people to sit in that. I love what you just said, and I love that you are being innovative and creative. And because people, yes, they need to be reminded, but also they need to feel have a sense of belonging, right? If they don't have a sense of belonging, they will be like, "What's the point?" And just because remote work happening, people are also feeling that a lot of of that uh, process uh, around, you know, being heard, being supported, uh, it's also diminishing. Uh, and I really feel like. That is no excuse specifically during the current times and the current events. More than ever, actually, we need to make sure that people are doing okay and feel safe to share if they're not and finding avenues 
because as you know, a cookie cutter model doesn't fit at all. And that's why I feel like so many companies are still pushing for that and not doing enough uh, yeah. as a result of it. And that happens I, often, you know, yes. Isabella, I'm sorry I interrupted you. Um, no, no, no. That happens, that happens often when um, people say to me, well, tell me what your program is. Like, what's your first step and second step and third step, you know, for coaching? I go, oh, no, no, no. People, I don't have an A to Z. Because not everybody starts at A. What if you start at F and I waste three weeks going from A to F? Why would we do that? Let's meet you where you're at. Let's coach you where you're at. And then we'll move you along. Let's figure out what you're not doing. Let's figure out what you are doing. And let's move you from that space. And so the cookie cutter method is all those people who go, I have a process that if you take my process and you do this process, you're all going to be better. I'm like, no, heck no, because you can't meet every single person, you know, in robotically. You've got to meet them where they're at and you've got to coach them where they're at. And that means that as a coach, you have to be innovative. You have to look at who they are. You got to figure out what they're, what they're self-sabotaging, where they're self-sabotaging, where they're, where they're hanging up on limiting beliefs. What is it that they don't know that they think they do know, right? And so, yes. um, and, and, that's, and that's as a leader too. I mean, you always have to challenge your people to be a part of the process. And if you're not doing that, then you're not allowing them to be their best. And you have to hear them because people feel valued when they feel heard. And that you're just, you're spot on again, because I feel like even though people in a remote settings and everybody's home environment, it's not conducive for this length of work and working from home and people are struggling. They're not everybody living by themselves. They have a family, they have all these different obligations, they have a different dynamics. And after a while, you know, it, this is not just being just for a few days or a few weeks. We're having now over a year, this a new environment and new normal of working together. And I feel like, uh, one of the biggest things that I'm seeing, it's not anymore just working from home, the issue. Uh, organizations and CEOs are struggling with the growth, but they're also struggling with morale. And, and if they're not able to increase the morale of their people and not communicating frequently with them, it's not going to happen. So what, what is your take on, on, on what of those things that, that I just mentioned? And what are you seeing? Because I'm just curious. I know you, you are being in a driver's seat. And I wanted to, if you don't mind sharing, how did you dealt with the, all the losses and, and, and some disappointments and low morale? And how did you build yourself back up? Because a lot of times people just don't have no idea how to do that. You're, you're right, Isabella, and you know, it's not an easy equation. I think that people always want the easy button. How can I push the easy button and get to this better space? But that requires something called, you know, developing good personal habits. It's like, I always talk about the reserve. You know, we have to, every day you have a cup that you need to fill up. Every single, you have a cup, you need to fill up the cup every day. And if you don't fill up the cup, you start the day with a half a cup or a quarter of a cup, and then something happens, and some of that's taken out of your cup, and then something else out, and something take, and pretty soon you're empty. You have an empty cup. You can't do anything with an empty cup. And so many people are like, you know, they don't start their day in filling up their cup. They don't do anything to fill up their cup. And you have to, it's a, have to be an intention. You have to develop habits that fill up your cup. And so that when a tough time comes, that you still have enough reserve to deal with the tough times, but you can't say, oh, today I'm gonna do this one thing that makes me feel better. No, you have to do it every day. You have to develop personal habits that fill your cup every day. And guess what? When life happens and it will, whether it's health or whether it's a relationship or whether you lose your job or whatever it is, if you have, if you filled up your cup, you will make it through it. But if your cup is, is depleted and when so many people do nothing, 
nothing to help themselves every day. They have nothing, no skills that they do every day. They don't read something positive. They don't do a gratitude journal. They don't um, do meditation or prayer or self-reflect. They don't do anything. And they try to meet the day and the day defeats them because they have nothing in their cup. I love it. Again, that is such a phenomenal uh, reminder. And, and, and how I look at um, sharing what I'm seeing, it's people are also having right now, uh, as you said, fill their, fill their cup. For me, it's that emotional capacity. If the threshold is very low, no matter what you have, you will not, if you're not allowing to stretch yourself and really go further than you've never been before and grow with that, it's not going to happen. But I'm also seeing very low threshold of social capacity. So it's like, how can we now socially look at an help somebody else if we are not able to even manage and maintain our own and and that is the issue where i'm seeing such a huge disconnect and we live in very individualistic culture to begin with now it's like all of a sudden we're showing more than ever painfully obvious that we could depend that we're not meant to be independent at that level and that we really need to figure out how now to operate and coexist and i'm seeing a lot of domestic issues i'm seeing a lot of other pain points so uh it, it's just the magnitude of issues i'm sure as you're seeing with your clients that are that's just not any more typical engagements they're just very very different types of engagements almost going back to that fundamental ways of being mm -hmm. well you know we're all responsible for ourselves but so many people don't know that so so many people don't understand that they're responsible for your happiness, you're responsible for your joy, you're responsible for how you feel. We depend on other people to make us feel a certain way and nobody can ever fill your cup the way you can fill it. I read a book a long time ago and I wish I could remember the title, but it says, nobody can love you as much as you need to love yourself. And wow. so, so right now when people are out there and they're like, you know, I'm isolated and this is tough and this is hard. Well, if you love yourself, guess what? You're not going to sit there and wait for somebody to come around to love you. You're going to figure out what do I need that I need right now? What do I, do I need to make contacts? Do I need to get on a Zoom call with a friend? Do I need to, you know, mask up and go over to a friend's house? Do we need to go outdoors to do something? What's going to fill my cup? How, what do I need to do to love myself more so that I'm going to feel okay? But so we have a whole group of people who think that they depend on somebody else to love them, depend on somebody else to make them feel better, depend on somebody else for their self-esteem. It's impossible. Mm. Like you, and, and so when I talk about to companies, I'm like, what are you doing to grow your people? Not your, not your, I'm not talking about your, your, your skill for the company. I'm saying grow your people. Mm. Because when you're at this place right now that they're at, and these people are stressed out and they don't know how to deal with stress. Look, if you had grown that in your people, if you had taught them methods to use, if they haven't been doing it, they'd know they could fall back on it. If they had been doing it, then they're going to not coast, but they'll be able to deal with this. So it's really a process of really, what are you willing to do to love yourself so much that you're not going to allow anything, anything to get you down? That is very, very powerful. And that, and that's, again, as in some ways to so many people frightening because it's like you unleash your strength, your power and empowerment. And a lot of organizations don't exude or don't allow that to occur. Uh, because it's much more difficult to manage. And as we know, change doesn't happen very often pro pro proactively. It's, it's, it's being proven over and over that we change as a species, which is like insanely high number, over 97% 
uh, when it's already too painful and it's already too hard and because we absolutely have to, it's no other way. And that's very small percent, less than 3% of people proactively change and proactively willing to invest and transform. And you were mentioning some great quote from Zig Ziglar, uh, Zig Ziglar. And do you mind sharing some of your quotes? And I know you have an amazing book and I know you have amazing wisdom there as well. But just anything uh, that you want to share with us in terms of what, why is proactive change and proactive transformation pivotal right now? Why we cannot anymore allow to change from the pain because we know when it's changed from pain, what happens? It prolongs the, the process, right? Takes way, way longer. People are constantly fighting it, even though they know they had to because they're afraid of change itself, but also uncertainty that brings and, and what if they succeed, right? <laughs> well, change is frightening for everybody, right? I mean, we're all we're all afraid of change. Why? Because it's different. It's the unknown. It's you know, the possibilities could be, it could be something that could happen that's bad. But here's the deal. Like, you know, I don't know of anybody who still looks the same way they did 20 years ago. I don't know of anybody who, you know, hasn't changed in some way, shape or fashion. We will change. It is, we cannot fight. We're going to change. You know, your relationship changes, your job changes, your, the, your you know, you have friends probably that you had um, you know, 15 years ago, you probably can't, you know, you're like, where are they? I don't know where they are. They've changed. So, I mean, first of all, it's to understand that change is going to happen. So why are you finding it so hard? And it's that whole idea of, you know, if you flow with the current, it's so much easier. Yes. Yeah. You know, and so, and it doesn't mean you give in. It doesn't mean you surrender. It's just like, okay, so this is happening. Instead of pushing against it, how can I flow with it in such a way that, you know, good things can happen? Because so many people, you know, what you resist persists, right? That's an old one. If you, mm -hmm. what you resist, it persists. Well, you're fighting against something. That's resistance. Yes. But when you flow with it, when you're like, okay, you know, there's many people who, who flowed with this whole process. They said, okay, this is what it looks like. How can we make this process work for us? How can we stay in the flow and work with it versus against it? And this is, you know, these are philosophies. I don't know how else to change somebody's mindset other than you have to step into new ways of being. You have to step in new philosophies. You can't live an old philosophy and expect a new life. That is so very true. If you have to be willing, again, to have a new perspective and then come from different ways. And that's why I feel like people are struggling way more than they should be right now. And I mean, it's just so painful to watch and it's evidence elsewhere. And I'm curious, um, you know, you dealt with a lot of, of the rejection, with the failure, and with the success. And ironically, those are the top three fears right now uh, <laughs> that are being consistently showing up. Fear of rejection is number one because people are just so sensitive and they take it way too personal. They don't understand that that's the part of process in life. Second, obviously, fear actually of of failing, right? Because we are, as adults, not allowed to fail and we cannot allow ourselves to see as a part of the trial and error because we're doing so many things that are new. And then fear of success. And, and do you mind sharing your philosophy, the Vin philosophy around that? Because uh, I wanted to leave audience with something actionable that they can take, but also mm -hmm. to hear from the champion who actually been through all of it and came on the other side and consistently has been on that other side. So please. Well, so, so I have three things that is the win philosophy. And, and so I really believe in these. And number one is W is widen the separator gap. And people will say, what do you mean by widen the separator gap? And I'm like, well, a lot of people just do the givens. So a given is you go to your job. That's a given. You go to your job on time. That's a given. You do the work you're supposed to do. That's a given. You do it in a satisfactory manner. That's a given. 
right? And so a lot of people do the givens, but they want what the separators have. They're mad because a separator does the thing that nobody else is willing to do. So if you're going to win, you have to think about what am I willing to do that nobody else is willing to do? What does that look like? What am I willing to do? And that a lot of people freak out about that because they think it means working harder and it doesn't really mean working harder. It just means working smarter, right? You know, you yeah. know that Isabella. The I stands for identify I am as your power words. So the two most powerful words in the universe are the words I am, because whatever you say after those words becomes your, that becomes you. It becomes your world. And many people don't know this and they don't understand the power of the words I am. They're not looking to what they repeat themselves hundreds of times, thousands of times throughout their lifetime. And so you have to believe in something before you see it. And if you say, I'm not smart enough, guess what? You're not. I'm not pretty enough. Guess what? You'll never be. I'm not good enough. You'll never, you'll never find the things that you want. You have to really attend to these powerful, powerful words. They're like magic. They're like the miracle workers, the, the you know, miracle words that change you. And then in means navigate success. So navigate success means you know, you can't just go, well, other people are, they got the lucky breaks. They, you know, they got the right <laughs> DNA. They were born at the right time in the right place with the right people. They got it all. Well, no, like you have to navigate it. You know, Tom Brady was, was he was um, in the, it, when they drafted him, he was drafted 199th, 199th, 199th. Like nobody thought that Tom Brady was going to make it except for Tom Brady. He navigated his success. He said, what do I need to do to get there? And how do I keep being on top? It wasn't because he was a phenomenal athlete. He didn't have all this, this special things. They were talking in his, in his, I listened this morning, it was an old Oprah Winfrey, Super Soul Sunday. And they were talking about his um, report. He's, he's too thin. He doesn't have a good arm. He can't throw a good spiral. I mean, on and on and on was this report. Like, this is the guy who's won more Super Bowls than anybody else in history. He navigated success. So why are we sitting around going, you know, well, if I would have only, like I needed the better coach or I needed a better position or they knew they got that job because stop it. You have yeah. to navigate it. You have to navigate it. So that's the short, the win philosophy. You know, I can speak, um, you know, on stage for an hour about that, but that's really the, the succinct <laughs> way to do it. I love it because that encompasses all the top three fears that are also people exuding and right now, and they're not even realizing. And as a result, they need to shift their mindset. But when you mentioned Tom Brady, I love that story and uh, and navigating, navigating change, navigating the failure, navigating and picking yourself up and then going forward and moving, moving ahead, uh, changing environment if it's needed to, whatever it is. Uh, again, unless you try, you will never know what you're capable of. Yeah. I mean, you can sit around, you know, a lot of people. Happen. And, you know, as long as you have a reason, you'll never find success. You have to be willing to let go of all reasons, let go of all excuses. You have to be willing to do that. Wow, that is insanely powerful. Do you mind sharing just the, some of the pivotal moments in your life, but that, that really transform you and, and got you in that, this beautiful flow. I mean, I've been knowing you for years and you're always in that flow and it's just, you can't fake it. Specifically, a lot of people, when they say fake it till you make it or whatever, all the crazy stuff, either you have that within you and that comes through or doesn't. 
and 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 I just love to see how still not only so much passion but so much wisdom and so much knowledge is there. But you are spot on because I hear also people giving advice and they're so off or they're just re reciting these famous authors from Jim Ron to Zig Ziglar. But then I was like, where is this showing up in your own world? Where is the evidence of that that you breed any that I mean that you practice right? Yeah. Well, you know, it's a. <clears throat> In 19, oh, I don't remember what year it was, 19, let's see, two, let's see, 96, 96, 96, I think 1996 is when I developed chronic pain. So at that point in my life, I couldn't sit, stand, or walk. I could not without intense pain. And I'm an athlete. Like I played with broken fingers. I played with a broken big toe. You know, I played with a broken nose. Like I played with that stuff. So I know what pain is, but this pain was so, it's intolerable. Like I could not, I couldn't function. I just couldn't function. And I went to 17 different medical professionals in a span of two years and none of them knew what, what it was. So on my pathway to getting better, Isabella, I went through this thing called integrated manual therapy. And they, they said, you know, your body, mind and spirit are all connected. You are not a separate being. All of you are, is connected. And of course I was like, well, that's a bunch of hogwash. Like just fix my body. Like, what are you talking about? Like, that's so stupid. I, I can't believe you were talking about that. It's so stupid. Well, in the process of, of, you know, getting better, I discovered that, yeah, we, we, you know, when you think about the three as one, we are, we're a single unit. And if we're not attending to all those pieces, if we're not yes. looking at all those pieces, if we're not working on all those pieces, we cannot be a solid one. And it was years. Like, I'm a pretty stubborn person. I'm <laughs> like, uh, and I would go to this, I would go to this um, therapies and they would go, they'd say something like, well, let's talk about this emotion. I go, nope, not talking. I'm not talking. I'm not talking about things that have ever hurt me. I'm not discussing that. I'm not going to be vulnerable. No, you know, and the therapist would go, you know, I'd come back again. And it was, this was expensive. I mean, I'm talking, I would throw down a thousand, fifteen hundred dollars every time I went. And uh, I'd say, you know, fix my body, right? And they're like, well, you need to fix some other things too. Like your, you know, your thought process, your connection to your spirituality. And I'd be like, no, well, you know, nine years of this. Now I, I told you I was stubborn. Nine years of me fighting this to understand that to be a total being, you have to be a total beating. It's all of you. And that process was lengthy. It was, it was reading books. It was meeting myself in the mirror. Oh, so painful. Oh, so painful to meet myself in the mirror, man. Um, it was forgiveness. It was reading, like I read thousands of books. I did a lot of reflection stuff. Um, one of the things they asked me to do once was write down all the people I was angry at. Isabella, I couldn't, I mean, I could have filled a notebook. <laughs> but I can, I can understand, but I can understand. Yes. <laughs> so, so this stuff is, it's, you know, it's true. Like I'm not faking any of this because this was a long yeah. journey for me. I'm not faking any of it. It was, it was through a, a process and it wasn't fun and it wasn't easy, but gosh, I'm glad I'm, I'm on the other side. Right. Was I mean, so it was worth so it worth it. Yeah. And shares, it shows in every ounce of your body and every cell of your body, shares in your eye contact and smile. And for everybody who will be not only listening to this, but also watching this video and recording that we're doing right now, you guys can just see, you can fake that. And that's what I want to capture in everybody's memory for a moment. That is what's all about. Because you're not in turmoil, you're not in conflicting thoughts. You're not just developing your body and you're not working and exercising, exercising your mind and spirit and emotion. 
emotions. You are really looking yourself holistically. And as a result, you're building endurance and, and pushing yourself and able to really do impossible possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, beautifully said. Thank you for saying that. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. But you got to, you know, it is, and, and I think the part of that is, Isabella, is it's so hard to look in the mirror. I mean, it's so hard to, to see the things that you don't like about yourself and then to turn that around and to love them. Like that's the, that's the hard part because you have to love all, all of you. Like you can't yeah. not love any, like you can't go, well, I love all of me except for X, X, and X. You can't do that. It's <laughs> gotta be all of you. And yeah. this is a journey. And then I think, you know, for leaders who really take the journey of this, they're different. They don't have to fake it. They're empathetic. They're confident. They're, they have assertive communication skills. They're able to navigate the, uh, all the challenges in front of them. They have people that follow them because they want to, because they're like, they want to be in their space, you know, and this isn't something you can just read from a book and go, got it <laughs> because you're, it's a journey and and what i love about that too because so many people are now reading and everybody's throwing all these different titles and i said knowledge is great and used to be knowledge is the power but actually it's not knowledge is only power when you take action and apply it unless you apply it if you don't take action it doesn't matter you can be the smartest person but still broken broken and uh totally alienated and isolated of everything else around you. So that mm -hmm. is the truth. And right now we're seeing a lot of people that are not able to cross even through at the table, across the screen or, or that phone call just to extend and be vulnerable. Like you just shared your vulnerability and thank you for doing that because we all arrived after a certain point of hard work and nobody sees what it took. And I, I'm, I'm glad you said for some, some, some things took you nine years for something things took you a second or very instantaneous it's it's just a matter what it is right it's a blocking steps mm -hmm. yeah and you just have to be willing and i think that there is a never-ending process like we have to be willing to say you know um i listen to this this people uh, abraham hicks and sometimes abraham hicks says or yeah. used to say all the time you know to remain joyfully incomplete and that's the truth. Like, I don't think we're ever going to get it all done. There's a possibility to get it all done. I don't care how many books you read, how many retreats you go to, how many coaches that you have, how many mentors you've had. I don't care. There's still another step. Yes. But the, the thing yeah. is, is in the journey, like in the journey, can you do the journey like joyfully, even knowing that you might and probably will never get it all done? That is such a beautiful uh, realization. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that too, because I always thought about infinity and numbers as I was a little kid. I always wanted to know what was the last number and just brought up something really pivotal here because when they say it's infinite and never ending, that is the same thing. Why would have a never ending numbers, right? Because it's a, another minute, another second, another year, another century, whatever mm -hmm. it is. It's mm -hmm. another zero. It's always another number behind it in a way where that kind of another number of version of ourselves that comes in different iteration of ourselves from the second ago from minute ago whatever might be the scenario and and that is a beautiful way to put together that doesn't mean we're not good enough but we always can do something better and we can always aim to expand and grow and push ourselves further because that's where the magic is oh you said it that's where the magic is Right. And, and, you know, so many people live in the not good enough mm. and they're striving so hard to for the next milestones that they'll feel good enough 
but it's not the milestones. Mm -hmm. Like it's not that it's not that, you know, oh, we made this much money or we got this or now I drive this car. Or I do that. It's not that mm -hmm. like and I'm not saying you can't have that. Like you definitely please have all those things, but don't depend on those things for what you're looking for inside of you because those things will never give it to you. Mm. Right. And so they keep striving and striving and just never enough. And that's because they, they're not enough. Look, mm. if you feel good enough about yourself, it doesn't mean that you stop striving. It doesn't, but you're not looking for something out of that. You're not looking for like, ad, you know, adoration from others or validation from others. You don't need that. You already have it, you know, and that's, the, that's the magic moment. That's the magic. And that is so empowering too, because I am glad you are so much transforming organizations uh, and future generations, because we generationally and specifically in this environment, this culture in the United States focus way too much on what is missing and what is not done right and, 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 and what is wrong versus all the great stuff that were done there and, 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 and we need to shift this, uh, the script. So I'm glad that with your positivity and a mindset you are not only exuding, but you are also teaching and coaching, it's helping to change that uh, so that we can be good enough and feel good about ourselves. Yeah, when you're a leader, you know, to me, a leader of leaders is the person who builds their team. They build their people. They help their people, you know, become somebody new. And so you have to have your own values. You have to have your own integrity. You have to have your own set of, um, you know, a mission, what your, what your, what your mission is. And it's not about, you know, your, your mission's never about um, how much money we can make and how many, what the cars I drive and, you know, um, how many employees I have. I mean, that's part of the process. That's not the mission. And so when your mission is to really serve others, when your mission is to really be in a position that you can help others, then those things will occur for you, but you don't, you're not like, that's not the winning point. That's not where the scoreboard ends, right? And because if you're living in that mindset, you're never going to be enough. It's never enough. You can have millions of dollars. It's never enough. You can have five cars, you know, three condos. It's never enough. But when you live in the world of enough, when you live in that space, guess what? You have everything you want and you're able to give more. And then, and then when you can give and you're not certain, like there's so many leaders who are searching for validation and searching for adoration and they're pushing that, that they will get some of it for some people because those people that give it to them are, are looking for the same thing. Right? Very true. Very, very true. But you're not going to get the, you're not going to get the transformation. And that's what you want. Transformation. You know, I know that I made a difference. Let's say 20 years ago when I coach a player and they will call me or they will email me or they will Facebook me and say, coach, man, you know, I want you to know you changed my life. Mm. Like they don't remember the game or the number of points they average or, or, you know, what the, like, I can't remember the score for any games ever. In fact, I don't even know if I remember the score of any game the way I did I ever coach. Right? I don't know if I remember the score, <laughs> but, but I do remember the people and I remember the players and I remember their struggles and I remember who they became because of the struggle. And I remember who they, like, I, like that part, those pieces, those are, those are what matter. And when you're a leader, the greatest thing you have is that if you help the people become better people, if you help your people do that, they go home and they make their family different and they make their communities different, yeah. you know? And so your reach is so much bigger. And if all your focus is on is on money, if that's your only focus. Look, you're not changing the world. 
But as a leader, you can change the world. Like you can change the community. You have the ability to do something so special. That's not just about, you know, your contribution is my money that I made. And I'm not, look, please, like if you're a billionaire, do it, man. If you're a millionaire, do it. If you've got that, please do it. Don't hear me that I'm saying that's not important. I'm just saying, if you're doing it and you're not happy, you need to, you need to check it out. Absolutely. And with somebody who is so accomplished like yourself and been so around the block many, many times and try so many different things professionally and on personal level, what is the next? What's the next on your bucket list, if you don't mind sharing? What will be something that you're looking forward to it to accomplish before? Uh, obviously, you, you are not able to either travel or do more of so. Oh, man, Isabella, I just want to continue to um... You know, I've really found my, I think my niche and I love, look, I love speaking on stage. So let's not say that. I love it. It's energizing. It's fun, but it's not, it's not as transformational as that leadership consulting where I get to meet with a coach. I mean, with a, meet with a, you know, somebody, a CEO, uh, you know, twice a month or, or some, I have a couple there once every week. It's, it, you can see the transformation. And so I know that a difference is being made because they're making that difference to their people. Right. So I just want to continue growing that. Uh, and when I get chances to speak on stage, even if it's virtually, you know, like I have a, a gig on Friday, even if it's virtually, that's great. Any way that I can get messages out, um, you know, I'm passionate about helping people. I'm passionate about serving people. Um, and so any way that that happens, and I'm writing another book called Winning Leadership, Seven Secrets to Employee Champions and Sell Superstars. So I'm writing that book. Uh, I've interviewed over 100 in, uh, CEOs for that. It's, it's phenomenal. Like one of the things I learned, which is so Yay. great. Like, being a CEO is no different than being a basketball coach. It's the same, like it's the same mentality. It's the same things. They're talking about building yes. teams and da da da. So, um, you know, I'm writing that book and just continue to grow, um, grow people. That's what I want to do. I want to help people grow. That's fantastic. That is beautiful. Uh, definitely motivation. And I cannot wait to see when your book comes out, hopefully before end of this year. Um, you know, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Coach Win, we, we got you. <laughs> We're looking forward before end of the year. Uh, but what I also want to ask you, you already obviously have stellar legacy and stellar, stellar reputation. Do you mind just share what would you like at this point in your life to really be your uh, legacy and to be remembered by? You know, the, the thing that, that's most important to me is, is how I remember myself. Cause I can't control anybody else's, you know, anybody else's viewpoint. So, you know, at the end of this life, at the end of this place, I want to say, did you forgive yourself for everything? Did you forgive others for everything? Have you learned to offer love to people who don't love you? Have you learned to love yourself so much that it doesn't matter what anybody else says about you or think about you? Um, have you served people enough? Have you served enough people? Have you made a difference um, in other people's life in some way, shape or form? Like, you know, if I've done those things, I'm going to be pretty dang happy because that's a lifelong journey. Unconditional self-love yes. is a lot of freaking work. It's a lot yes. of work. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Oh, wow. That is so powerful. And I agree with you. We cannot, we cannot be in charge of what others will think. 
it's important that we lived for, and we were fulfilled. That is so important. But I also know that you have great fans and a lot of supporters and people that, uh, again, you, you're being a shining star in so many ways. And it's just very interesting to hear this and how connected you are to humanity and giving back and giving value. It's not about title and plaque on the building and somebody's name on the bench in the gorgeous national park, but it's more than anything, as you said, echoing mm -hmm. and disseminating what you do uh, and impacting people across the globe, right? Mm -hmm. Which you've been sure. doing so very well, so. Yeah, and I mean, I would love to impact more people, but you know, again, Isabella, if I don't, I'm still okay with that. Yeah. Like you, you know, learning to live in your, in your, in your space and, uh, you know, just being happy every day. Like if I can achieve that, that's a pretty dang big deal. If yeah. I can meet the challenges in my life and not, not let the challenges wear me down, pretty big deal. Um, yes. so I, you know, do I love to speak on stages? Heck yeah. Uh, you know, I've spoken to crowds as large as 14,000. That's a pretty a massive number. It's fun. It's energizing. Um, but if I, that never happens again, I'm still okay with it. You know, I'm still okay with just, I'm just want to be able to say at the end of the day, you know, did you do your best? Did you never give up? And did you learn something from the experience? That's what I want to be able to do. Wow, that is so powerful, Sherry. Sherry, this went very fast. I'm super honored again and thrilled that we could reconnect and do this and to have you on the Legacy Leader Show, your stories, your thought process. I mean, it's just uh, exceptional. So I just wanted to thank you on behalf of all the uh, people that are watching and listening. Thank you for sharing so many great golden nuggets and uh, we hope to have you back very soon. And definitely when you have that book going because we wanted <laughs> to hear and get a scope before anybody else does. <laughs> Absolutely, anytime, Isabella. I, you know, I, I'm fond of you. I appreciate you know, who you are and what you've done. I appreciate what you've come through and the journeys that you've had and the changes that you're making uh, in this world. And so you know, I, I appreciate you and so, um, if I can support you in any way, if I can support anybody who's out there, like you're listening, if you're out there and you're like, man, I just want to talk to this person, please do. You can find me on LinkedIn at Sherry Wynn, right? Or the Winning Leadership Company. Um, or you can find me at website at uh, www.thewinningleadershipcompany.com. Look, I'm always ready to engage in great conversations and I love having great conversations. So um, any way that I can support anybody, let me know because I, I, honestly, I will do that. And so all I ask in return is that you rant and rave about me and you share me with other people. That's it. <laughs> definitely and i will definitely make sure that i have those websites down in a summary as well and everything we share and then look forward sharing this great content across the social media with everyone and thank you again for your time wish you a fantastic rest of the day and please stay safe and warm okay will do thank you isabella you're awesome thank you for listening to legacy leader show if you enjoyed the content and had a positive experience then please leave us a positive rating in addition, leave us positive review whenever you are listening on whatever platform there might be. Make sure your friends and family also know about the benefit and value that we provide and what we have to offer. Cheers.